Hey everyone, it's been said that every quilt tells a story and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Barb Sinsley is a friend of Monica Hardy who has the Moments with Moni podcast. Thanks, Moni, for the connection. I'm just going to mention two of the many tidbits that Barb has in this interview. First, the camaraderie we have in quilting with others. And second, as a result of blessing others, she receives more blessings than they ever received. What a pleasure to have this visit. Barb, thank you for being on A Quilter's Life. I'm so happy to talk with you today. Well, it's my pleasure to be able to visit with you and with your fellow listeners out there and share the love of quilting. Wonderful. Let's start at your beginning. Where were you born? I was actually born in Denver, Colorado, quite a number of years ago, 80 to be exact. And we moved from Colorado to California when I was three, so didn't spend very much time in my birth home. What part of California did you move to? We initially moved to Burbank. Kind of an interesting situation. My dad worked with Lockheed Aircraft Company at that time. And, of course, it was right at the end of World War II. And we lived in a uh, triplex underneath camouflage nets because we were very close to the air facility there. So that was kind of Kind of different environment than most people live in. (laughs) Yeah, now we wouldn't even think about having to do something like that. That's amazing. Right. Do you have a special memory from when you were growing up? Oh, my gosh. I have lots. (laughs) I have a very close family, or did have. uh, My my Mm -hmm. folks have both passed. I have uh, one sister who is three years younger than I, and... She is uh, mentally challenged and lives not too far from me. She lived with me or, or with my folks most of her life. So a lot of our my growing up years were working with her over time. And we loved camping, and my dad was an avid backpacker. One of my special memories I have as a child, I was probably about 12 years of age, and he and I hiked to the top of Mount Whitney, which at that time was the tallest mountain in uh, the United States. We did a lot of, of backpacking, been all over national parks and things of that nature. So very close family, you know, did a, did a lot of things together. Nice. So you did a lot of traveling going to those different parks. Yeah, my dad, he usually had two weeks summer vacation, and so we would always pack up the car and take off and a lot of our camping was tent camping and then eventually they got um, a trailer so it was a little more comfortable. Um, We were just always going somewhere it seemed like whenever he had time off. We, We didn't live too far from the beach and stuff there in California but he really enjoyed the mountains and fishing and so a lot of our vacations centered around those kinds of activities. Neat. How long did you stay in California? My husband is a fifth-generation Californian, and when I was a sophomore in high school, we moved from Burbank down to Orange County to Santa Ana, California. Both he and I attended the same high school there in Santa Ana, California. Didn't know each other until Mm -hmm. much later, and then... In 1979-80, we moved from California then to Idaho, and we've been here ever since. And that's been, oh gosh, over 40 years now that we've resided in northern Idaho is is where our home is. Uh But we both grew up in Southern California, and our children were all born in Orange County area. When our girls were in junior high, We moved out of the city and moved up to a place called Norco, California, which was a little small uh, rural community. And we got very involved with 
farm animals, and they were involved in 4-H. And we raced motorcycles out in the desert. We were either at a 4-H function or we were out in the desert on motorcycles. (laughs) (laughs) So did you have a motorcycle too? Yeah, I did at the time. Um, Our whole yeah, our whole family did. Our son was, when we first started going, he was only two. And so I would ride him on the front of my motorcycle. They weren't street bikes. They were just dirt bikes. Uh-huh. And then both of my girls, they shared a bike for a while, and then they each got their own. And so all of us had bikes. And we belonged to a motorcycle club. And, and so almost every single weekend was spent out in the desert of California with other families that shared the same hobby. Neat. You don't think of families doing motorcycles, but that would be a fun family. It it was, yeah. It was really fun, and our girls enjoyed the group that we were with. It was quite a large group, and so there were a lot of children that were the same age as our kids, and they looked forward to going out there and being with their friends every weekend. Fun. So what took you up to Idaho? Well, that's kind of an interesting story. We got very tired of all of the congestion in California and looked all over trying to find an area to move to where my husband, who was an appraiser at the time, where he could continue his work and still be able to afford a, a living. And we just couldn't find anything, thus the move to Norco. He could still commute back and forth to his job. And we had somewhat rural living. And then some very close friends of ours, they decided to move to North Idaho, uh, Coeur d'Alene area, and open up a transmission shop. And the day that we were helping them pack up their trailer and stuff for the move, the two fellows got to talking and our good friend told my husband, he said, well, when I get up, and get the business going, I want you to come up and be my center manager. So my husband said, okay, you know, we're, we're willing to make that move. So once he got the business going, he called and said, well, when can you come to work? And my husband gave two weeks notice to the county that he had been with for 17 years. And we moved sight unseen up to Coeur d'Alene. Oh, wow. we, just, we just went on blind faith from our friends and we asked him, I said, does it have mountains? And yes. How about a lake? Yes. Okay, that's all we need. <laughs> <laughs> so we just packed up and we sold our house immediately. And uh, he came ahead of me and our girls had 4-H animals that had to be sold at the local fair. So we stayed back until the, the end of the fair. And then I packed up the three kids or two of the kids, one of our, our oldest stayed back in California. And so I packed up two of the kids and drove up and met him and always felt over 40 years now that we were on vacation and we're still on vacation. We absolutely <laughs> love this area. So it was it was a wonderful move. And especially, it was a great place to raise our son, who is quite a bit younger than his sisters. Perfect place to raise a boy that loves outdoor life. And he was an avid hunter and fisherman and and at the time, Coeur d'Alene was a very small rural town. Everybody knew everybody, you know, so it was it was a real good move. Things, of course, changed now over the years, but we still love it. Yeah, um, wow. Going from sunny Southern California to Idaho where there's snow. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, we love it. We We love the four seasons and never have been sorry, you know, to have to go through the winters. And we've had some pretty rough ones over the over the years that we've been up here. We recently moved now from, well, we've made two moves since our original move to Coeur d'Alene. When I retired, I went back to school when I was in my late 40s and got a degree in special ed and was a teacher for uh, 14 years. And so when I retired in 2005, we moved to a little rural community and bought five acres and built a home on that acreage. And then just a year and a half ago, we sold that place and moved further north now on another five acres. And uh, we're in the process of, of getting this place 
established. Our oldest daughter moved in with us, and she's a horsewoman, and so we now have horses, and we have goats and chickens, and just love it, you know, up here. Totally different lifestyle than what we had in California. Oh, yeah. Um, and we live in what is considered the snow belt, but my husband has a tractor, so moving snow is one of his favorite things to do, so we don't mind the snow at all. <laughs> and actually, that gives me a perfect opportunity to do quilting because I, <laughs> you know, I'm stuck inside and don't want to go anyplace, so the best thing to do is to hit the old sewing machine. <laughs> nice. Wow. You said you were a teacher. Could you tell us about your job a little bit? Sure. Well, right prior to moving up to Idaho, I volunteered in my son's school, and he was in kindergarten at the time, and a position opened up. The California state made a recommendation that each district would hire three-hour aides for every classroom, kindergarten through third. And so one of the teachers that I was volunteering, she said, you need to apply for that. She said, you're here all the time anyway. You might as well get paid. So I, I did that, and I received a, one of the positions, and that worked into working with special needs children at the local high school. And I just absolutely loved the job. These kids were severely behavioral children, and so it was a very challenging but very rewarding job. I had always wanted to be a teacher from the time I was early, early age, probably second grade or so. My desire was to be a teacher. And so when we moved to Idaho, I was going to go back to school. I had been taking classes off and on our whole married life. I was a stay-at-home mom, but I had taken classes. But I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, so I called the school district to see what I would need in order to become a special ed aide in the district. And in the course of the conversation, the lady I was visiting with, she suggested that I come in and put my application in. And I said, well, I'm not really looking for a job. Just wanted to know if I needed to go back to school and get any classes or anything. And she said, well, I really think you need to come and put an application in. So I said, okay. So I did so, and in two weeks I was hired on <laughs> it's a district as a special ed aide and worked primarily with kindergarten age kids. So I was a special ed aide then for eight years and moved around from school to school in the district as the need would arise. My last year as an aide, the superintendent talked me into going back to school and getting my degree because at that time we needed special ed teachers and none were available. And he said, I sure wish you would go and, and get your degree. And I was like 49 at the time. And I said, well, by the time I graduate, I said, I'm going to be 50, 51 years of age. I said, who's going to want to hire somebody at that age? And he laughed and he said, are you kidding? He said, I can get a first-year teacher salary with eight years' experience. And he said, there's no way in the world I would turn that down. And he <laughs> said, if you go back to school, he said, I can't guarantee you a job, but he says, I can guarantee you an interview. And so I went ahead and put my notice in and ended up going back to Gonzaga University over in Spokane and my daughter, uh, oldest daughter, was also going back to school at the same time, and she and I attended the school together, and she was also a special ed major, so we had all of our classes together. Oh, wow. Which, yeah, it was a wonderful, fun, fun experience. And on Mother's Day in 2019, no, 1991, not 2019. <laughs> 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 um, oh, my shit. Right, yeah. In uh, 1991, we both graduated um, on Mother's Day. We were uh, televised because it was a unique situation for this area for a mother and daughter to both go back to school together. And that was kind of when non-traditional students were just starting back into the school environment. And so we were kind of a unique thing at that time. So I immediately, after I graduated, 
the very first principal that hired me as a special ed aide hired me as a special ed teacher. And so I worked for my my very first principal, and I taught special ed for two years. And I had, at that time, was considered profound students. And so they were, you know, pretty high-functioning, but definitely had a lot of different, both physical and mental needs. Things in the district changed after a while, and they started putting special needs kids in regular classrooms instead of keeping them in a contained environment, which I was 100% in favor of. But my job changed to where I was more of a consultant than I was an actual teacher. And a kindergarten position opened up about that time, and they were few and far between in a very coveted position. So I jumped at the chance to switch over then to regular ed and was hired as a kindergarten teacher and remained in that position then for another 14 years. I guess more 12 years as a kindergarten teacher. I just loved it. It it was hard to retire, but my husband had already retired from his work, and we were anxious to get on the road and do some traveling. And so I finally said, okay, you know, I guess I'm going to move on to other things. And so in 2005, I retired from teaching and still worked in the school for about two or three years doing testing. And then I finally gave it all up and walked away. And I was ready at that point. (laughs) Yeah. What a blessing to be at the point where you hated to give it up rather than you couldn't wait to give it up. Right. And and I had always said when I was a teacher, the the worst thing was to, to see a teacher that was ready for retirement and they were just going through the motions. And I said, I never wanted to do that. I wanted to leave just as excited about my job as I was the first day that I went to work. And I was very fortunate that that was how I ended my profession. In fact, my last two years, they had a special program where we were giving my school that I worked with and two others were a pilot program to work with children that were at risk. And they didn't qualify for special needs programs, but they were, you know, way behind their classmates. And they started a program in the kindergarten where they went to school in the morning. We had half-day half kindergarten in our uh-huh. district. Okay. So they went to school in the morning, and then in the afternoon, they came to my classroom, and there were 15 students. And I spent the afternoon then working with the children on language arts skills. At the end of our first year, all of the children in all three schools were at the 80 percentile right where they needed to be. The program was very successful, and the kids all caught up and were functioning. You know, they still had some difficulties, but they were not as far behind as they would have been if they hadn't had that program. Yeah. And so the last year when I retired, I went out still as a pilot school. And the program became so successful that it was then finally put into place in all of the schools in the district. That was right when a lot of pressure in the school district was for kids to be able to pass different ability tests, which I'm not in favor of. Teaching became very different. There was a lot more expectations for being successful in reading and writing, and they were forgetting a lot of other skills that children need, especially in the kindergarten program, such as socialization. We no longer did learning through hands-on. It was all book learning. And at five- and six-year-olds, definitely not appropriate. They they need that hands-on. And so it was a good time for me to retire because things were really changing rapidly in the district. And I wasn't exactly on board with some of the policies that were being put into place. It was a good experience, very good experience. I retired right at the perfect perfect time. Neat. Well, before we get into quilting questions, are there other crafts and hobbies that you have? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I am a creator. I love creating things. So I 
had various hobbies all my life, and I think I've tried every type of craft that was ever out there, from scrapbooking to stained glass work to just general crafts, you know, toll painting. I think I tried it all. But I also love gardening. That's my summertime passion. And one of my favorite things, and this is what I'm involved in right now, is creating gardens and taking a blank slate and building something beautiful out of that, much like quilting. I'm an avid gardener, and I love growing both fruits and vegetables and flowers. And then I'm also a hobby photographer, so I love going out and taking photographs of things that I enjoy, barns and old buildings especially. I'm really drawn to photographing those kinds of things, but mostly landscape. And, of course, we live in such a gorgeous area. There's a lot of photo opportunities up here. So those are my current two passions. Over the years, I've I've tried it all. (laughs) (laughs) Probably my longest-lasting craft was scrapbooking. Um, Mm -hmm. I spent several years making scrapbooks of all my children and various scrapbooks on hobbies and things of that nature. And, And I still dabble a little bit with it, but not a whole lot anymore. Yeah, it's a neat way to keep memories. Yes, it is. And I was in a group from my school where I taught. There were several gals that were in the school that were scrapbookers. And we would get together at least once a week at a local scrapbooking store. And they had, I forget what it was called now, like scrap nights or something. And um, we would scrap till dinner time, started at dinner, and we'd scrap till like midnight on a you know Friday night or something. Yeah. <laughs> and so having that camaraderie, you know, was a large part of it too. I enjoyed the craft, but I really enjoyed doing it with my friends. And that's where most of my hobbies have been. I'm not much of a loner. And so a lot of them center around my group of friends that I'm with. And I enjoy that opportunity to get together with them and share, you know, our our passions. Yeah. Who introduced you to quilting? I can't name one particular person. My mom was an avid seamstress and she taught me to sew at a very early age sewing had always been part of my hobbies things i enjoyed and made all of my children's the girls especially made their clothes and made a lot of my own clothes but i always had a desire to learn how to quilt my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law were both avid quilters i just admired their things that they made but i'm one of these people that Once I decide I want to try something, I become obsessed with it. And with teaching, I knew if I decided to start quilting, I just didn't have the time. I was so busy with my school. You know, a lot of people say, oh, gosh, you're so lucky because you have all this time off. Well, you don't. You spend a lot of time off hours in either classes that you're taking or preparing lessons. And so I really didn't have the time to devote to quilting like I would want to. But I did buy a sewing machine, a quilting machine. It was a little Bernina with the idea that when I retired, then I would take up quilting. And I had taken one or two classes at a local quilt store before I retired and started a couple of quilts and never brought them to finish And then when I retired in 2005, then I really got into it and started taking a lot of classes at our local quilt store. Found out that my little quilting machine really wasn't going to do what I wanted it to do. (laughs) (laughs) And so it wasn't too long into the hobby that I bought another Bernina, but a fancier one and one that I would be able to do what, you know, free motion type quilting. And so I started taking all these classes. And there again, because of the camaraderie of doing this hobby with somebody else, I would start a class and then the next class would come and I didn't get to finish the project. And so I had all these unfinished projects sitting around all over that 
I finally reached a point where I said, I'm not taking any more classes <laughs> until I finish some of these things that I have started. <laughs> Probably, you know, looking at my mother-in-law and, and my sister-in-law's quilt, they planted the seed for, uh-huh. for, for growing in, in this hobby. Do you have a favorite quilt that you've made or a favorite quilt pattern you like to use? Not really. I have quite a collection of quilts that I've made over time, both on our beds as well as scattered throughout the house. But one of my favorite quilters that I love to, I guess you'd say, work work on are patterns put on by Bonnie Hunter. And I love doing her mysteries. And mysteries, I guess, are one of my favorite things to do. I, I love doing mystery quilts. And every year she does a mystery quilt as a kind of a thank you to her patrons. And so she starts, uh, usually in October, gives you a list of fabrics and colors that she's going to be using in the quilt. And then the Friday after Thanksgiving, she gives you the first clue and usually takes you up through New Year's every Friday posting new clues for this particular quilt. And, of course, you never know what it's going to look like until the end. And so I've made several of her quilts, several of them in various stages of completion. (laughs) And (laughs) we have a very large family, three children, and they've blessed me with eight grandchildren and the eight grandchildren have blessed me with seven great grandchildren. Oh, wow. And so I have made lap size quilts for everybody in the family. Um, I just finished up one. It's at the long arm quilters right now. And I have to pick that up this week. Then I have one more for a grandson in law to make. And then I will have completed quilts for all of the grandchildren and all of their spouses or all family members, actually, my blood family as well as mm-hmm. um, our adopted family. That is probably, you know, been the funnest thing is to be able to make those quilts and then gift them to the family members. I tell them, I say, well, when you wear your quilt out, just let me know and I'll make you another <laughs> one. <laughs> but they're to be used. Don't put them on the back of a you know, in a shelf because you're afraid they're going to get damaged. Just please use the quilt. And if you need more, then I will make another one. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Talking about making quilts, you mentioned to me about making prayer quilts. Could you tell me about that? Sure. That's my love. I was very active in our community church where we lived in Spirit Lake. Through that, I started out making what we call prayer bears. And it was a little bear that I got the idea from my sister-in-law's church down in California. And this lady would make these bears. And if somebody was in need of a prayer or just needed cheering up or whatever, she would give people a bear. And so I thought, what a great idea, and decided I would try and do the same thing. Well, after a very, very short period of time, I realized the demand was so great, I couldn't do it by myself. And so I went to the women in our church and asked if they would like to start a sewing group and make these bears. And several women stepped up and said, yeah, they would love to do it. Well, then from that, we would meet in my home and make these bears. Well, they saw the quilts that I was doing. So then they wanted to know if I would be willing to teach them how to make quilts. So I had a small little group of women and I taught them quilting and started out with a quilt called Women of the Bible. It was a sampler quilt. And the idea behind the quilt was to teach them all the various techniques that you use in quilting through a quilt block. So one block had half square triangles, another one had flying geese, those kinds of things. So we worked together and made these Women of the Bible quilts. Then I picked up a book about prayer quilts. And I thought, wow, this is something I thought was really cool and a a great way to 
use our skills, our talents that we have that the Lord has blessed us with. So I went to the same group of women and I said, what do you think about making prayer quilts? And shared the, the process with them and they all just immediately said, yes, we, we need to do that. And basically what it is, is we made quilt tops. And then on the back of the quilt was a very large cross and we sandwiched these, and then I would take the quilt to the church once we had the sandwich, and the people in our congregation uh, would tie knots. We didn't machine quilt them. They were tied quilts. Mm -hmm. So each of the various people would tie a knot, and as they were doing so, they would pray for the individual that was going to receive the quilt. The quilt became a, a vehicle to transport these prayers from our church to this individual. Our church built a new facility, and when they did, then I opened up the opportunity through the community. At first, it was just in my home, and so I had to limit how many people could be involved in this because of the size of my home. And so when we moved to the church, then I had a lot more room and so several women in the community then responded with a desire to learn how to quilt also. So I taught a second class on women of the Bible and taught this group of women the same quilt pattern. And then at the same time, we also worked on these prayer quilts and did so for, oh gosh, I guess, about 10 years or more, we were very active in either making the prayer bears and then the, the prayer quilts. You had mentioned possibly showing a picture of the quilts on my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I have some pictures of those prayer quilts. One of my absolute favorite pictures that is on there, one of the Sunday school teachers was very supportive of these prayer quilts. And so she would take her Sunday school class, which were probably fourth grade to sixth grade maybe, and Mm -hmm. mostly boys. And when we would bring a prayer quilt in, she would take these kids in as part of their lesson and have them tie knots and pray for this individual. And one of my favorite pictures is of these, There, I believe there's three or four boys with their head down praying for a person uh, with a quilt. You know, every time I see it, it always brings tears to my eyes because these little little kids were so so devoted in wanting to pray for these individuals that were, you know, suffering one way or another. And to see not only adults embracing it, but, but children as well. And uh, so very, very rewarding uh, program. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've moved now, so I'm not involved in it you know, other than on a personal basis, you know, I yeah. will, will make a quilt for, for somebody that I feel needs to be cheered up mm-hmm. or something. Tell me about what your worst quilting experience was. Oh, my worst quilting experience. Probably too many unfinished projects. <laughs> my <laughs> It's probably my worst. I start something and then I get bored and so I move on to something else. One of my worst quilting experiences was I had just finished a Christmas quilt for our bed. And it was a queen size, very, fairly intricate quilt. And my dog had gotten a hold of a um, ink pen and jumped up on the bed and proceeded to chew the ink pen. And I had ink, black ink, all over this quilt that I had just put on the bed. And uh, I worked and worked and worked and worked to get the ink out and was successful to a degree. That quilt is still on my bed today, (laughs) you know, but, but I felt so bad because, you know, it was the first bed quilt that I had ever made. And so that was kind of a disaster, but yeah. um, but I would say my my biggest fault is not finishing. I'm not one of these where you start it and you don't do anything else until you finish. I I have multiple projects. I always finish them, but I have multiple projects going on at at the same time. 
multiple cults oftentimes at the same time. Uh-huh. And and that's one of the things I really like about this Bonnie Hunter. I don't know how many people know about her, but she's the queen of scrappy quilts. And mm-hmm. most all of the quilts that she made are all from scrap. And she has a method that she uses called leaders and enders. By using that, a lot of times, you know, when we're making the quilt and we've got points, those points will get sucked down into the machine through the feed dogs. And there's nothing more frustrating than to try and pull that out and not rip your corner and everything. And so one of the things that she proposes that you do to prevent that from happening is you start with a scrap of something other than your quilt. And many of us do that anyway. We'll fold up a scrap and start our chaining, you know, by using that scrap to prevent those points from being sucked down into the machine. Well, like she said, if you're going to do that, why not make another quilt? So she takes various things like two-and-a-half-inch squares, and she'll sew two of them together and make a pair. She calls that a leader. So you lead off your chain stitching with sewing this two-and-a-half-inch square. And then when you get to the end of your chain, instead of just cutting your thread, you feed another one in, another Mm -hmm. two-and-a-half-inch square, and that becomes your ender. So then that course, then you've put your threads, and that now becomes your your leader again. Mm-hmm. And so I just have finished up making 42 quilt blocks that were all from a leader ender project that really? I started well, yeah, quite a while ago. And, and they're 16-inch blocks is what they ended up being. And they were all done out of pastel and neutral fabrics, pastel flowers and, and neutral fabrics. And so I just finished up 42 blocks, and I'm ready to put those together in a quilt. So oftentimes I have two quilts going at the same time. I have one I'm working on, and then I have my leader and ender quilt that, that I'm working on at the same, at the same time. Oh, I love yeah. this idea. It's really great. And, and Bonnie Hunter has her website is called Quiltville, and she has a whole tutorial on how to uh, use leaders and enders. In fact, mm-hmm. she's published, I think, at least two books, maybe three books, uh, patterns that she has created using leaders and enders. I have so many scraps, I just can't throw, you know, fabric away. Yeah. And this is a great opportunity to use up all those little scraps of fabric that we have left over. Sometimes my leader and ender might be sewing triangles together to make half-square triangles. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so if I cut off a triangle, I save it, and then I'll put those triangles together to to make something else out of, you know, try to utilize every every little scrap I can. Uh, I, there's a point. I won't go past an inch and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on a quilt right now where it's a 365-day quilt, and the total block is only three and a half inches. And so I'm working with these inch squares that I'm trying to sew into half square triangles. And oh my word. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess I could now become scrap queen as well. <laughs> Do you know why you make quilts? Um, well, two reasons. One, the love of the quilting. I love sewing. That is, you know, a real passion of mine and has been in my early childhood. It's very relaxing for me to, you know, sit at the machine. And and especially now that we're in North Idaho in these long, cold winters, you know, I have that opportunity to, to be productive, you know, even though I can't go outside and do anything. I believe that God gives us gifts. And we're to use those gifts to bless other people. And for me, that is such a huge reason why I love quilting, is I can use my God-given gift to bless others. And as a result of blessing others, I receive more blessings than they ever received. I'm really drawn towards 
using that skill, not only being able to share my quilts, but being able to share the art of quilting. And so, you know, I've taught many women now over the years the art of quilting and and to see them enjoy the hobby as much as as I do. There's great rewards in that as well. So I, I love to share my knowledge and I love to share my talent with others. Cool. My next question here is, who do you make them for? Most of my quilts have gone to family members. I've made several quilts that I have gifted to an organization. It's called Open Arms, and it's for a pregnancy clinic in Coeur d'Alene. It's a woman's choice clinic. Mm -hmm. So I've made several quilts and donated. One of the things that they do in this Open Arms clinic is when the women come in, they allow them to pick a quilt that they can keep for their baby. And so they're always looking for, you know, baby quilts. And so I've made several baby quilts for them. And then I've made uh, several quilts for, it's called the Union Gospel Mission for men and women, but the group that I worked with more were uh, women that had alcohol or drug addictions and they would come into this program to get their lives back in order. And Mm -hmm. so they use quilts to put on the beds in their shelter homes. So I made a couple of quilts for them and then a hospice, I've made quilts for the hospice program as well. So for me, you know, I just, if I hear that somebody wants a quilt, it's like, okay, you know, I'll be happy to give you a quilt. (laughs) And uh, so not only gifting them to my family, but I love gifting them to other people as well as different organizations where they gift them to people out there. Yeah. Like anything, you can only make so many of Mm -hmm. an object that you're crafting and then you run out of people to give them to or you run out of room in your own home for them. (laughs) And so, you know, and so being able to give to others and share that, that keeps my interest up, you know, because I have a purpose for making a quilt. And I just, you know, I love the, the creation of taking... You know, somebody says, oh, my gosh, you take these big pieces of material and you cut them all up into little tiny pieces and you put them all back together again. And that's a creating process. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm I'm a creator. So I love that, taking different fabrics and putting them together to create a work of art. And that's, mm-hmm. I believe that's what quilts are is, you know, people call them blankets, but I call them works of art. And I, yeah. I truly believe that every quilt is. Could you share a tip with me? Of course, the leaders and enders, I, I would really encourage people to try that. That's probably the most useful tip that I would pass on to others. Another tip that where you're actually constructing somebody would be to make a scrappy quilt and you basically take two pieces of, of strips, strip quilts is what they're called, and okay. so I'm taking two strips of fabric, and they could be any size. Uh, you could have a an inch and a half strip and a two and a half inch strip. And I use newspaper. Other people use muslin. But you are basically sewing these two strips together onto some type of surface. And the reason you have the the paper or the muslin or whatever is it helps stabilize because you're working a lot of times with bias cuts and stuff. And so I prefer the paper. And then I, once I have completed a block using the strip method, then I rip the paper off and I have a nice solid block rather than using muslin. That's an expense where I use phone books and they're free, you know, <laughs> so it doesn't cost anything. But I they're think not as thick anymore. No, that's right. In fact, they're almost non-existent, except we did get one in the mail the other day. I was so surprised. I think it's been years since we'd had one. But uh, it was like, oh, good, I got another uh, another, another phone book to use. But the one thing I like about the strip quilts is trying to get that quarter-inch seam down is 
is really a difficult thing for especially for beginning quilters. And mm-hmm. that is so of course crucial to you know, your your piecing because, you know, if you don't have that quarter inch seam down, you're gonna have all kinds of problems with putting together your blocks and creating them and having them come out so that you're not ripping your hair out trying to make this piece match another piece. And so with these strip blocks, you just sew those strips and you sew a quarter inch seam and then you press it open and then you put another piece on top of, you know, each end of that. And you you just keep building until you end up with whatever size block you want to create. But it's very good practice for getting that quarter inch seam down and being really accurate with it, which I believe is key in good piecing skills, especially with a real beginner that has never had any experience sewing. I start them off making some of these strip blocks just to help them hone those skills of just using the sewing machine and learning the speed and and how to feed your fabric in and letting your feed dogs work and not trying to pull them through and, you know, things like that. Yeah. And one of the questions you had mentioned was a favorite tool. My favorite tool, which a lot of people groan over, is probably my seam ripper. <laughs> yeah, I use that tool probably more than any other tool that I have. And, of course, rotary cutters have been yeah. having sewn for years, you know, with scissors. Use, being mm-hmm. able to use a rotary cutter is just really simplified things tremendously. What is your favorite part of the quilting process? Um, I'm a piecer. I did buy a machine that I could do free motion quilting on, and I could also do machine embroidery. But I want to learn more um, machine embroidery. I haven't done that very much of that. But I found out real quickly that I absolutely hate free motion quilting. (laughs) And it's just so frustrating to try and cram, especially I, I will do it for small projects like a baby quilter, table runner or something like that, but trying to feed a great big quilt, you know, even a lap size quilt through the, a machine that has such a small throat and, mm-hmm. you know, m- most of your machines have that unless it's a real specialty high-end machine, which I can't afford mm-hmm. and most people can't. I just get so frustrated trying to do that and then trying to create a pattern and not that's another art, I believe, all in itself is the quilting, the machine quilting and, and trying to come up with a pattern that will enhance the quilt that you've made and not detract from it. So I I learned real quickly to send my quilts out and I've been very fortunate to find long arm quilters that do absolutely gorgeous work at a very reasonable cost. And so I send you know, all of my quilts out, unless I'm doing a tied quilt or Mm -hmm. a rag quilt or something. Those are totally different. So I I consider myself a piecer and not necessarily a quilter. You know, that's such a generic term. You know, to me, a a true quilter takes a quilt from start to finish. And because I send mine out, you know, I obviously don't do that. I I piece it, and then when I get it back, then, of course, I do the the binding is all done by hand. I like to sit in the evening and do the bindings on quilts, and I, yeah. most all of those I do by hand. So that's probably where, where my love is, piecing quilts. And like I said, I, I really enjoy doing the mystery quilts. Those are my favorites. Not too long ago, I was introduced to mystery quilts. I haven't done one yet, but... That is something I'm looking forward to. If you like little tiny pieces and you like scraps, I highly encourage you to try one of Bonnie Hunter's mystery quilts. Because <laughs> 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 they're fun. Um, she does an excellent job of showing you different methods. She does a lot of picture tutorials on how to complete. A, she calls them clues, but it's a set of instructions for Mm-hmm. And so, like, if she's showing you you have to do 250 flying geese, 
she will show you, you know, maybe two or three different ways to do that. And she has pictures to show that process. And so a lot of times I don't even look at her written instructions. I just look at the pictures and, you know, follow what she has to say. But they're almost always bed size quilts and usually queen size. So they're quite large. And she gives you recommended suggestions for colors, but you can choose whatever color you want. You don't have to follow hers. And you don't even have to make them scrappy. You can go ahead and buy fabric and she'll tell you how much you need to make the quilt. But I always do them scrappy because it's a good way to use up all those little scraps that we have, uh, you know, stashed away. In fact, I'm working on one right now that she started during this coronavirus situation, and she's titled the quilt Unity. So every Monday she's been posting a set of instructions. And this particular quilt is a little bit different than her mystery quilts in that it's almost a row-by-row type quilt. And she started out with a center medallion, and then each... Monday, we add another section to what was the center medallion. Oh. And and it was a way to pass the time since we're at, you know, so many people are at home. You know, people that would normally be out working are now home and can sew, including herself. And so she's not touring. She does a lot of classes all over the United yeah. States and stuff. And so this was her way of passing time and sharing, you know, some a pattern with other people. So I'm currently working on on that pattern. And I think when this is all said and done, this time period that we're going through right now, you know, this is going to have a lasting memory. Well, I think having this quilt that kind of ties in with that time is, for me, kind of a neat quilt to make because it's a period of time in history we're experiencing it now, but 10 years from now, you know, I'll pass this quilt on to somebody else, a family member, hopefully, and be able to share this time that we have all are going through, through the quilt. So, it's, you know, it's kind of a history lesson in the making, if you will. Yeah. That's so neat. Is there anything else you'd like to share with me? Um, I can't think of anything. I pretty much covered this love of a hobby that we share. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. This is great. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it, and thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of A Quilter's Life. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Thanks for listening.